Well, hello there, top teachers. We are your hosts, Bridget Spackman and Michelle Emerson, and we are here to make your life easier by helping you master your time, organization, and productivity as a teacher. Yes, it is another episode on teacher burnout, but obviously there is a reason we are doing so many episodes on it. It's very much real and it's affecting a lot of teachers out there. So in today's episode, we're going to focus on the truth about teacher burnout because we hate to tell you, but you've been lied to. <gasps> Gasp. So dum, dum, first, dum. <laughs> let's hear a TSH or time-sucking hurdle from Michelle Holman. I have a very hard time turning off my teacher brain. So even after I've completed my lesson plan for the day, I replay it over and over in my mind. What often happens is that I then come up with a different way to teach it, which in my mind seems better. So then I'm back at the beginning reworking the lesson and then having to update or completely retype the whole lesson. Sometimes I can control the urge to change the lesson and leave a note in my plan for how I would teach the lesson the next time, but the perfectionist in me wants the kids to have the best idea the very next day, not the next year. This becomes a huge time suck for me. Michelle, girl, not the Michelle that's like on the podcast with me, but (laughs) Michelle Holman, girl, I am so much like you. I want to have the very best lesson and I'm always reflecting on ways to be able to make things better. But to help my brain, instead of reworking every single lesson, here are going to be some tips that maybe you can follow. So one, start with one area to focus on each year. If you're reworking multiple lessons from one day, then you're going to start to feel very overwhelmed. So focusing on one area will really help you to narrow in on where you can improve. Another idea is to create a flow for your lessons. This truly saved me so much time and energy. This means that you're going to develop a way to be able to hook your your learners to have a core lesson and maybe even to reflect or extend the lesson afterwards. If you have this kind of layout for how you're going to approach every single new concept, it's going to make it very easy. And you need to also keep in mind that you're making it to fit your teaching style. So what works best for you? Um, Having this is going to, again, help you to focus on developing those consistent lessons each each time. Now I'm going to offer a different perspective. I'm actually going to ask <laughs> Michelle a question. Okay. Is your lesson actually going to be better if you are overworked and tired when you actually teach the lesson to your students? Mic drop? Mic drop. Holy moly. <laughs> Here's the thing. Sometimes, and I've learned this within like the realm of fitness. I know I compare that to so many things, but it's because there's a lot of parallels. But I've learned with my training, more is not always better because if I'm doing too much in the gym, my body doesn't get to recover. And then when I go in to do my next session, it's going to be crap because my body is not ready for it. So instead of always trying to like rework the lessons and make them better, you have to realize that sometimes less is more. And if you've waited until it's perfect to execute it, then that means you've waited too long. No matter what, you're going to continue to grow and improve every single year, which means you're always going to look back on past lessons and you're going to think of ways that you could do them better no matter what. It's like when we have students who are doing like writing and they want their like first draft of a writing assignment to be perfect. 
as a teacher, we know it's going to get edited and revised. And we're like, Johnny, just get something down on the paper. So it doesn't have to be perfect from the beginning. Sometimes it's better just to have a starting place. And then over time, it can be perfected. That is that is a true mic drop right there. That was really good advice. Um, okay, so I think we're going to start this episode with a little bit of tough love. And I feel like, Michelle, we we really started this podcast with a lot of tough love and a lot of different mm. episodes. And then I think we kind of got away from it for a little while. A little bit. But we did it. Just <laughs> a, a little, little bit. bit. But I think this is a really great episode to bring it back like hardcore. <laughs> yeah, I'm here so for it. We're going to give you some guys some tough love. Here you go. Listen carefully. Stop what you're doing. Well, don't stop driving in the middle of the road. That's dangerous. But listen, self-care isn't the solution for teacher burnout. It's not. I know. I'm saying it again. Self-care is not the solution for teacher burnout. I think on social media, we see so many different posts saying, take care of yourself or take time for yourself. But the truth is, is that self-care is not going to solve your problems. It isn't going to actually take away the burnout that you're feeling. I recently made a post on social media about this because it like hit me all of a sudden where I'm like, stop saying that self-care is the answer. It's not the answer. Honestly, it's like a Band-Aid that you're putting Mm -hmm. on the problem. It's going to help you feel better temporarily, but once you take it off, it's going to keep bleeding or it's going to get infected and get worse if you don't tackle the root of the problem. Yeah. So Michelle, how many PDs have you had on self-care? Oh my gosh. I feel like honestly, the last like two years of teaching, uh-huh. every single year we'd have like five or six PDs on self-care. And it's so frustrating because when you're taking time away from work to learn and, you know, be able to grow professionally and you're just told, well, here's what you should be doing. And you're like, okay, but you're taking my time away to tell me that. And you're not giving me time to actually do it. And ultimately self-care it becomes this cycle. So you take time for yourself, which means you're not getting work done in that moment. Like if you're truly doing it the way it should be done, you're not getting work done. So then when you return to work, you're actually feeling more stressed out than Mm -hmm. before the self-care because now you're like, I've got all this work to get done that I didn't do before. Exactly. So it never really is getting solved at all. So I know you're probably sitting there thinking, well, then what is the answer? What is the solution to, you know, fixing teacher burnout? Well, the real answer to it is that we have to fix the root of the problem. So let's talk about the underlying causes of feeling teacher burnout. In episode 094, the teacher burnout sliding scale, we discussed how there are certain triggers that can really bring teacher burnout to be even stronger. But ultimately, these are not the actual causes. They're just triggering the sudden emotional response that is going to lead to teacher burnout. Yeah. So Bridget and I sat down and we really analyzed like our own journeys of teacher burnout and things that we've seen from others. And we tried to come up with these kind of broad categories of causes for the burnout. So I'm going to go through and list each one. There are five. I'm going to give like a very brief explanation of what this means. And then we're going to dive into like each one and kind of give examples of when we have personally experienced this. So The first category would be inefficient workflow, meaning you are not getting your work done 
to the best of your ability. You are wasting time. You're not being efficient. Second category, you have no separation between work and life. So your work hours bleed into your personal time and or vice versa. Third category, unrealistic expectations. We talked about this in episode 93, where we discussed our journeys with burnout and how there is something called an expectation hangover. And when you have very high expectations and then reality does not meet those expectations, you are left feeling very defeated. The fourth category would be those emotional responses. So emotional responses has to do with like how you kind of handle and cope different with different situations. And then the final category would be systemic challenges. These are a lot of the decisions and rules and regulations that are kind of out of your control, but they still impact you and take a toll on you. Yeah, definitely. So we're going to start with looking at that very first category, which is the inefficient workflow. Um, So if we think about it, and I'm going to just kind of share a little bit more just on my side from when I was feeling that teacher burnout, uh, organization is just a huge component for me. Uh, I would like to think that I was a very organized person, but in reality, I was not a very organized person. You know what I mean? I had desires to be organized. (laughs) So therefore, I bought all the organizational things, Mm -hmm. but nothing was ever really working for me. So I had materials everywhere. I would often find myself like recreating activities and games because I either couldn't find them or pieces were missing. And for me, this was very challenging and overwhelming. And this caused me to come in and never feel like I had a handle on things. I felt Mm -hmm. like a brand new teacher starting all over from the very beginning again and again and again. Yeah, I think it makes you feel very out of control, which can lead to those feelings of like burnout because yeah. you, you feel like you have no no control over it. So for me, when I think of inefficient workflow, I think about really my first year of teaching when I was lesson planning because it was day to day to day. I would go home yeah. every night and plan what I was doing the next day. I could never get ahead. And so I was forced to spend time every single night planning. And there's this like cause and effect relationship here as an effect. I never had time to just like be a person. I never had time to do anything other than work because I had not figured out an efficient way to do my lesson planning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So if we look at the now the second category and guys, this episode, we're not really giving you guys like how to fix everything. We're really just kind of digging a little bit deeper because we've talked about how we've had those catalysts, how those catalysts will then trigger. But then all of what we're mentioning right now is going to be the underlying problems. I want you to be thinking that as we start to talk about some of these, see if you can identify this into your own personality, your own classroom. Um, Because if you really get in touch with who you are, what works and what doesn't work, if you make that a reality, (laughs) you're going to have the better opportunity to hopefully fix this. Does that make sense? Yes. And we are going to give more strategies for actually solving these underlying factors in the next episode. So bear with us. We're getting there, but we feel like teacher burnout is so complex. It's something we really have to dig deep into and kind of take it one step at a time. Yeah, absolutely. And the more we learn about ourselves, the easier it is to, to be able to fix that. And I'm going to talk a little bit more because I think our Enneagrams come into play of this. And I talk a little bit more about my Enneagram 
a little bit later on. So the second category that we mentioned is the no separation between that work and life, right? So you're constantly bringing work home or your your life is kind of leaking into your, your work time. Your work is then going into your lifetime. It's the whole mess of everything. This for me was really not sustainable in the very beginning of my teaching career. And I think I had this uh, this feeling of not having a really good work-life balance from my first year. And I'm going to say it was even into my seventh year of teaching. So I was experiencing this non-work-life balance for seven years of teaching. I would be spending from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. at school every single day for seven years years. Now you're probably sitting there listening and saying, well, duh, of course that's going to cause you to feel burnout. But you know what? When you're in the moment, you don't really acknowledge that. You don't really know. You just feel like you're doing everything in your power power to be able to work. But I was coming home exhausted and then I was working even more. I was a mom, a teacher, and all of this like guilt, like this mom guilt was playing another huge role into why I wasn't feeling successful in so many different areas. So before I share my example of not having separation between work and life, I want to touch on something you just mentioned, Bridget, Okay. when you said, well, of course you're going to experience burnout and how in the moment though, you don't see it that way. I think as human beings, we all love to think that like we are this special thing that doesn't fit the mold of everyone else. And so we think, well, I know that that would cause burnout for everyone else. And I see other people talking about how you shouldn't do it, but I'm going to be different. I can do it. I'm able to to sustain this. And the reality yeah. is like you can't. And, you know, I, I see this a lot. I'm in a Facebook group for like macro tracking and there will be uh-huh. so many people who um, post in there because they're like, well, I'm doing this since and this and it's not working. And again, they have that thinking of like, well, I'm something different. So why isn't it working for me? Right. And then when people comment back and they tell them to kind of be more realistic and it's like, well, no, look at what you're really doing. Like, have you been consistent with your tracking? Have you been doing this? And then we realize like, oh, okay, that's actually the problem. It's not that I'm like this mystical creature that's different. We all really are pretty much the same at our core. And so when we see things like this and we hear about it from other people, we want to think that we're going to be different, but like, that's not how it works. No, it's not. (laughs) So when I think about myself and not having a separation between work and life, I really think about those first three years of teaching when I was teaching second grade, I would stay at school as late as possible. I was never the one getting there super early. The 6 a.m. No, 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 oh, no. See, no. I am. I would get like an hour and a half to two hours early. Ugh. Nope, <laughs> never me. I was getting there right before the kids came. But I would stay at school as late as possible. I'm talking 8 to 10 p.m. I remember asking the custodians, like, yep. how late can I stay? <laughs> like, when are you turning on the alarms, essentially? yeah. And I would go and grab food. I remember close to my school, there was a Subway. And then there also was a like locally owned restaurant. I actually taught um, the owners. They had two boys and I taught the one boy my first year of teaching. And I would go there and like they knew me. They knew I'd come in and I'm like, hey, I want my egg salad sandwich. And they'd like give it to me. And I would bring it back into the classroom and like eat dinner there and continue to work and work and work. At the time, it really didn't seem like a big deal because Billy was typically working during those hours anyway. For many years, he worked either the 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. shift, 
So I didn't need to be home until 830 because he wasn't home anyway. Mm -hmm. Or there also was a period of time where he was working the night shift. So he would work from like, I think it was 8 p.m. Actually, I said 3 to 8. It was 3 to 11. And then he had like an 8 to like 6 a.m. or something like that shift that he worked. And so I never felt like I had to be home because it would have just been me anyway. But the real issue is this created a habit of always working late. And that habit then became difficult to break. And it made me feel guilty when I was trying to break it because I felt like it was something I needed to be doing. You know, it's funny that you mentioned a lot about the the uh, uh, custodian mm-hmm. because, I mean, I had kids, so I had to get home at, mm-hmm. at a certain point, right? I was like, six o'clock was kind of my cutoff. I'm like, I'd got to get dinner and, yeah. uh, you know, be able to do all the things with the kids. But what was so sad is that I would tell myself, and this goes back to this habit that you're talking about, is that I would tell myself, it's okay. I can get the kids in bed and then I can come back. Because I know that the custodians are going to be there until midnight. Oh, my gosh. And so I would put the kids down for bed. I would tell Trent, I'm going to be I'm just going to go for like another hour, hour and a half. And I would go back to the school because I live very, very close. I know. I know. But you know what? We do that to ourselves. And it is truly this habit. Because if I didn't get it done, I just would tell myself, oh, but it's okay. Like, because I can come back. Mm hmm. That's I I, I get it. Like, I get it. But now I feel like both of us, because we've grown professionally, personally, we look back at that and we're like, what the heck were we thinking? (laughs) What were we thinking? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It's so bad. So uh, let's look at now the third category, which we have the unrealistic expectations. Mm. Oh, boy, guys. (laughs) I... I have such unrealistic expectations. I mean, even to this day, like I have to really battle with that. Um, I just wanted to be the best in every single area of teaching. And and I feel like I would spend hours researching and planning and preparing. And this really caused me to have those unrealistic ex- expectations that I was working towards. And then it would drain me emotionally and physically because I was trying to spend so much time doing all the things uh, because I, again, wanted to be good at everything. I had to learn the hard way that I will not be a master at everything. I just can't be that. I may be proficient as a good, like a good teacher, right? A proficient teacher is a good teacher, but there were always going to be those certain areas that I just was really great in. And I personally just, I wasn't great in, excuse me. And I just needed to be okay with that. So something that I think about, and I try to tell my kids about this all the time, because in my school, we, we go based off of standards-based grading. So when I grade my kids, they either get a mastery, proficient, or developing, okay? Or I'm sorry, mastery, competent, or developing. And so I tell my kids, I said, guys, it's like playing an instrument. When I was in band and I played an instrument, I was really, really good at playing the flute. I was first chair. I was first chair for many, many years. I was a drum major at in so, at like as a sophomore. Like there were lots of really good things. I was really good at that, right? So I started to then expand because I thought, man, if I'm this good at playing the flute, then I should be really good at playing all the other different <laughs> instruments, right? Like I should just be a pro. So I started playing the piccolo. And then I started looking into playing a little bit of the clarinet and the oboe. But you know what? I was never quite as good as what I was when I played the flute. 
I was just really good at playing that. And I needed to be okay with that. And what we do as teachers, we have to understand that I am not, it's not to say that I'm a bad teacher. I'm, I'm really good at teaching ELA. Like I am very good at teaching ELA. But when I go to teach math, I mean, I'm not horrible. I could teach it. I can do it. I can have an engaging lesson. But am I going to be as good as when I teach ELA? No, I'm not. And I had to learn to tell myself that is going to be okay. (laughs) Like if I copy what other people are doing online and because they have really good plans, that's because they're truly masters at that content. And I should be okay with taking that information and putting into my own classroom because that's not my area expertise. Now, if y'all have questions about ELA, you come talk to me because I feel like I am a pro at that. (laughs) Not to toot my own horn, but I am. (laughs) Yeah. And as you were saying that, it made me think I, well, I did not play in, in band at all. So I have no relationship <laughs> with that, but it makes me once again, think about the gym. Y'all are probably like, Michelle, shut up about the gym. I can't help it. So when I think about powerlifting, there's three lifts, the squat, the bench and the deadlift. And mm-hmm. I, my bench has never been my strongest lift. And I don't think it ever will be. And for the longest time, it's like, it was so frustrating because I would see other people and I'm like, well, why can't I do that? But then when I took a step back and I started looking, it was like, you know what? My squat is really, really strong. And my squat is a lot stronger than most other people in my weight class. Like that's really good. And I need to be okay with that. I don't need to be the best at everything. So when I think about myself and unrealistic expectations in the classroom, I think back to when I was in college and I actually started following teachers on Instagram back then. Like when I was in my second and third year of college, I only went to college for three years. So that was like the tail end of my college career. And after seeing all of these like posts and pictures, I felt like I had to live up to what everyone else was doing. And even though they had been teaching 10 years and their classroom is immaculate and they are really strong at teaching these subjects, I felt like I had to be there from the get-go. And at the time, there were not a lot of like new teachers or first-year teachers showing realistic views of what they were going through. Like, I don't know if you remember this at all, Bridget, but like, It was very much a lot of veteran teachers and they were showing everything, but there were not a lot of new teachers. Whereas now I almost feel like it's flipped. It is. I think there are a lot more new teachers. Yeah, because you came on to social media like in the very, and I'm thinking YouTube specifically, but I do remember like you came on very, very early in Mm -hmm. like the YouTube teacher game. Yeah. And one of the reasons I started vlogging with YouTube is because I wanted to show like a realistic view of what my life was like as a teacher. For the longest time, people would comment and they'd say, you know, try vlogging, try vlogging. And I had watched vlogs. I loved watching other people's vlogs on YouTube, like a lot of fitness people and and just like lifestyle vlogs. And I always thought, okay, but my life's not interesting enough for me to vlog. And then finally it hit me and I was like, okay, that's all right. Like I can show what my normal daily run of the mill mundane life is so that people have this more realistic view of expectations. Um, But 
you know, I think it's still something that I struggle with when I see other people because social media is this highlight reel. I see what they're doing and and I'm like, well, wait, why am I not doing that? And it's that whole unrealistic expectations because you're not seeing the full view of it. Yeah, for sure. So let's now go into the next category, which is going to be the emotional responses. And remember when I told you guys like in the very beginning like early on, I said, just kind of hold off because when we talk about getting to know ourselves a little bit better and understanding who we are as a person and what kind of makes us tick, what doesn't, what kind of sets us off, it's really going to help you understand and be able to solve these issues later on. So we're really trying to get you guys to dissect and really understand yourself. So emotional responses. Um, Michelle and I, I, Michelle, I'm going to throw you on the spot. You probably don't know. When When did we do the Enneagram? Wasn't it around that episode? Oh, the episode number. Oh, yeah, oh. I'm throwing you on the spot on this one. <laughs> oh, um, okay. Well, let me open up our podcast and just kind of talk while I'm trying to find it so that we're going to um, fill all the dead space here yeah, we're so that she the has space. the opportunity. Okay, to I've look scrolled back to it. summer. I know it was before summer. Um, let's see. I know that. Oh, yeah. Episode 62. We took a personality test. Here are the results. Okay. So it was really interesting because Michelle had actually taken a per- the personality test before, but she couldn't remember her results. So this was really intriguing. Guys, I even spent, I think it was what, like 12 or $19. I can't even remember. So that you yeah. would get the full report. Yep. Y'all, I spent the money to get the full report. <laughs> And I found myself like reading through it one night, just randomly. And this was after we had recorded it because I hadn't really read through it all. But I spent myself looking through and reading it all. And it all just makes so much sense. So for me, I am an Enneagram 4. I am very, very emotional. So Everything that I do is based off of my emotions. My emotions dictate how I react, how I work with things, how I complete tasks. And so in the Enneagram, when it was talking about my personality, one of the things that it said is that you can be a functioning Enneagram four, which makes me think that all Enneagram forms are like dysfunctional (laughs) human beings. I mean, if you're an Enneagram four, you're not dysfunctional, I promise. But you said it said that you can be functional if you learn how to cope with it, right? Mm-hmm. So if you can identify it, if you can accept it, I feel like we're going through like the phases of grief, yeah, <laughs> where it's like you have to learn to identify, you accepted it, you you know you're mad about it and you're sad about it. But now, how can we like deal with it? Our emotional responses, oh man, it it does everything for me, and this was something I just personally needed to work on, and it honestly is a continuous battle that I have because even Trent will oftentimes tell me he goes we never know how Bridget's gonna feel because I know it's he sounds rude when he says that and he's not being mean he he's he's trying to get me to come out of it and it's true you know in the beginning it would really hurt my feelings when he would say that but now I'm like thank you for saying that because I feel like it's absolutely true because if I wasn't feeling up to it, I would just wouldn't do it. And it's like, then I would back out on my promises. I would just like fall through with things and it would cause me to not be the best version of me possible. Mm -hmm. And so by not allowing my emotions to really tell me how my day would go is hard to deal with. 
but I think it's something that I needed to become aware of. Um, and now it's helping me to build some of these strategies that are going to help me work past it. And I really believe, and I don't know, Michelle, you've known me for a little bit longer now. I think like after this past summer, I've done a really good job of controlling my emotions. Yeah. And honestly, I feel like us starting this podcast has helped both of us grow as individuals. And I think Mm -hmm. doing the personality test, it didn't really tell us anything we didn't already know, right? We both were like, yep, that's me. Yep, that's me. Yeah. But I think when you really take that in and you realize, okay, if this is what I'm like, what do I need to do in order to still be a better person? Because ultimately we can all learn and we can all grow. And I find it very frustrating when people are like, well, this is just how I am. You have to accept it. We should all be working to constantly become the best version of ourselves. And I feel like this podcast has helped both of us achieve that or continue to do it. (laughs) I agree. I definitely agree. And I think that there's a difference between knowing and being aware yes. of something. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Have you, like, you've heard the saying where they say, like, yeah, you're you're listening, but you're not hearing me. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think we can know that we are a certain way, but acknowledging and understanding that and really having the deep, like, yes, I get it. I'm a very aware that I am this kind of a person is yep. very different from just knowing that this is who I am. Yep. No, I think that's a really good point. And I think it's that transition from knowing to awareness has to do with the desire to try to um, develop those strategies to like Mm -hmm. overcome it. You know what I mean? Because I think once you become aware, you realize how it impacts your life in both positive and negative ways. And so you want to try to improve so that it it impacts your life in less negative ways, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So I am not an overly emotional person but she's the opposite of me (laughs) I struggle with being stubborn I get very stubborn and that can come back to bite me Mm. I will commit to doing something and I will not let it go because I feel like I have to prove that I can do it like I get very hyper focused on things and obsessive I've realized over the years I have an obsessive personality. I love to obsess about things, but this ends up putting like extra pressure on me and it causes me to have these like unrealistic expectations. So thinking back to when I started running my business, my first year of teaching, which was out of necessity, I needed additional income and growing up, my parents had always known that I wanted to be a teacher and I would constantly hear from family members, friends, all of that. It was like, well, but if you're going to be a teacher, you have to know you're not going to make a lot of money. And for me, it became that like, watch me type of situation where it's like, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to prove to you that I can make decent money and be a teacher and do all these things. So then in order to accomplish this, I was sacrificing sleep. I mean, I remember for probably a solid year, Every single Friday night, I would get home from school. I would stop and get Subway on the way home. And then I would sit my butt on the couch and I would edit my video for that week. It was typically my vlog. And at that time, I was uploading on Saturdays instead of Sundays. I would stay up Friday night until somewhere between 3 and 4 a.m. I would go to sleep. I would then wake back up at 7 a.m., so only three to four hours later, in order to check and make sure the video went up and start responding to comments and all of that. It wasn't healthy. And it became this like 
my emotional response of being stubborn was then impacting my emotional and like physical health in negative ways. Yeah, no, that's, there are so many different ways that your emotions can truly play into it. Uh, So we're going to jump now into the last category, which are going to be the systemic challenges. And for me, I remember specifically when I came to this district that I'm currently in, um, I had other things like written down on these notes, Michelle. I'm going to go totally rogue because as we've been talking, I've been thinking of different things. Okay. So um, when I first came to this district, one of the things that people would tell me is that, man, if you can teach where I'm teaching right now, then you can teach anywhere. Mm -hmm. And I think having that being said over and over and over against me, there were really high expectations that I felt like I had. I needed to be on this other level, right? And so when you have like all of these different issues and things that are even happening, even now, especially, especially right now (laughs) with like the changes with the regulations and the systems and how nothing makes sense right now to me, (laughs) it's like they all, everything's contradictions. It's like, I don't quite understand (laughs) that it's, it causes me to feel as though I have no control over what I'm doing. And then that then sends me into the spiraling feeling of emotions, which then starts to trigger other of all these other categories that I feel like we've talked about in the past, right? Because you're talking about not having like the procedures and the routines. We're going back into like uh, the unrealistic ex- expectations. Your your balance is starting to get thrown off between your work and life. You your workflow is changing here and there, like. This systemic challenges that we're talking about that's happening like within the schools that we can't really uh, control ourselves, I think is like what starts to unravel some of the other things that we've talked about in the past. And so for me, I think I've seen a lot of what's been happening these past couple years and just with everything that's been going on. And that's been causing all of these other things to start to kind of Mm -hmm. unravel. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Um, and it's hard. It really is hard because you honestly have no control. And at the end of it, like I, there are some times where I feel like I'm going crazy because it's like I'm laughing and I don't, it's not funny. None of it is funny at all, but I laugh because it's like, I don't know what else to do. Yeah. <laughs> like I really don't, like if I don't laugh about this right now, I'm going to break down and quit my job. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> like, a coping tru- mechanism. It is. Like I truly don't know how else to deal with it. And I think ultimately it comes down to that feeling of I'm not in control. And I think that can affect people in different ways. For some people, it's super, super stressful to feel out of control. I think other people maybe take it as a sense of relief, right? Some yeah. people like not being in control because then they don't have to make the decisions. They just have to go along with it. And then for other people, yeah, it's almost, it becomes humorous because it's just like, well, you know what? There's nothing I can do about it. Yep. Yep. Basically. So I want to highlight two different like systemic challenges that I've definitely experienced over the course of my career. And I think it's something most people can relate to. The first being curriculum and having to follow a set curriculum. This was a big transition for me when I moved across the state and I switched districts and I switched grade levels. I went from having the freedom to teach pretty much however I wanted and 
you know, there were certain times where we were kind of given a curriculum, but we didn't have to teach it exactly that way. We had freedom to then being given a specific curriculum. And it was, you have to do it this way with fidelity and that's it. For me, having that kind of creativity stripped away was very, very difficult because that took out a lot of the joy for me. And it felt like being out of control in the one area where I felt like I should have the most control, right? Like as a teacher, you feel like you should be able to control how you teach. So that was difficult. The second area would be pay. And I think pay plays a big factor in terms of like burnout. I think when you're working so hard, but you aren't making enough money to even pay for your basic needs, like that is a challenge and that creates Mm -hmm. a whole new level of stress. I started selling my teacher resources my first year of teaching because I was spending so much money in my classroom. And honestly, I needed to supplement my income in order to sustain it. And thank goodness I started that because then fast forward to when we moved across the state, when we moved our rent, so we went from a apartment to a townhouse, but rent doubled, literally to the dollar. It was so ironic, doubled. My pay as a teacher only increased by about 10%. So my rent increased 200%. I was paying double what I was paying before, but my pay only increased by 10%. Well, because of that, like I basically had to continue working a second job. I had to continue running my business just to be able to pay for basic needs because my teacher salary alone was not enough. And that was a huge like obstacle that I felt like I was constantly overcoming and that becomes exhausting. Yeah. And I think we don't like we all I think people know how, you know, that teachers get paid poorly in some areas. Um, I moved to Pennsylvania because of that. I mean, my first year teaching in Alabama, I made $31,000. So if you guys do the math between taking out, you know, your social security, your insurance and all of the things, my check, I got paid once a month. My check couldn't even cover rent. I think I was at about $1,200 once everything was removed for the month. Yeah. Okay. I remember specifically like crying that first time thinking I thought that I was going to be able to move into an apartment with Ian because I was a single mom at that time. I was still living with my mom. And I, I really wanted to leave my mom's house. I wanted to be able to have a life for Ian and I. I couldn't do it. Yeah. I, I couldn't afford to have, as, in a, as a teacher in a career <laughs> that yep. couldn't afford to live on my own at all. Yep. It wasn't until, I mean, I sucker Trent into marrying me and then we had a second <laughs> income. But like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and here, I mean, I'm very, very fortunate to be in a like in a state now where I do get paid very well. Mm-hmm. Um. It is probably one of the best paying states in the United States when it comes to teachers. But man, like I get it. It's it is hard. Absolutely difficult. And I think what's important, it's like you have to not only look at the pay, but then you have to look at cost of living because Maryland also was one of the higher paying Mm. states. 
However, blows my mind. It is so expensive to live there. So even though you were making a lot and if you looked at, you know, someone in another state and you compared just the dollar amount of what you were making, you're like, oh, well, you should have no problem. Yeah. The issue is Maryland is extremely, extremely expensive to live in. That's one of the reasons that we moved because we wanted to buy a house and we could not afford one in Maryland. Like that's just the yeah. reality. And it is very true, guys. And listen, <laughs> when she lived in Maryland, like I want to say, like I probably live, what, like 30 or 30 minutes from the Maryland border. Yeah. So it would jump like a huge amount of prices. Like everybody who works in Baltimore basically lives in my area. Yeah. Yeah. They cut, They live over here because it's cheaper. Yeah. So like I get paid really well, but I also have <laughs> really good prices yeah. where I live. So my yep. cost of living, I mean, granted, I live in a little bitty town. Like I don't live in a giant <laughs> city. Okay. So like, just keep yeah. that in mind. Like there are no really interesting places to go here. <laughs> so if you like rivers and farms and like, this is the place to be, but do you know what I mean? Like yeah. so cost of living here was great, is fantastic. And I'm getting paid at a great rate. So it yeah. was just like, well, pff, why not come to live where my husband grew up? I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. So obviously we've established all of these challenges um, that exist, but we have to make changes in all of these areas so that we can improve those feelings of overwhelm that are ultimately leading to burnout. Right, Bridget? Right. Absolutely. So you have to keep in mind that not everything is going to be in your control. You have to focus on what you can change in order to be able to make these improvements. And so it isn't really worth complaining about um, over the things that we can't change because we know that progress, it, there, no progress is going to end up being made. But think about and just spend a little bit of time identifying and, and reflecting on some of those categories that we talked about and seeing which ones that you can pinpoint and say, you know what? Yeah, I, I, I don't have a really good workflow or yeah, I do spend a lot of time, you know, working at school. Um, and then in our next episode that we're going to do next week, you guys are going to hear, you know, the tips and ideas that we have to help you start to make progress in a lot of these categories so that you are not experiencing that teacher burnout. Yes. So until that episode releases, we would love for you to check out our website. You can go back and listen to any of our prior podcast episodes. You can grab one of our digital teacher planners and you can submit your TSH. Let us know what your time sucking hurdle is. We would also love for you to subscribe to our podcast. That way you are notified whenever we drop our next episode. You can leave us a review on iTunes to give us all the warm and fuzzies inside. You can also screenshot, like if you're listening to an episode, screenshot it, share out on Instagram and tag teaching on the double so that we can share it out and be able to just, you know, hype you up because we love when you're listening to our podcast. So yeah. until next time, be timely, stay organized and be productive. Bye-bye. See ya. <laughs>